Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chuck Curry alongside my co-host, Kenny B. This is Movie Maniacs, our weekly podcast radio show that delves into the world of motion pictures, TV, or pretty much anything pop culture this week's program we're going to run out run down some box office totals a lot of good super cool movie news and our top 10 list to round out the show this week will be our top 10 movies from the 1970s that we think people should watch today certainly very, very relevant love the 70s the golden age of cinema uh we are heard on wowo wowo out of fort wayne indiana every saturday night at midnight a lot of our fan base comes out of that uh great great iconic radio station wowo uh ken how are you today and uh what is on your mind i am great today is my bike day i you know the problem with the problem with retirement is if you don't make yourself a schedule you don't get everything done, so I have to rotate bike, golf, and boating so I get everything in. But a beautiful day here in Maryland. I did some planting out there in the garden, and um, just uh, everything's going great. Very good. We'll start off with some box office totals from last weekend. Super Mario Brothers, this movie really is playing a dominant role in theaters. Uh, 40% drop-off, great hold week-to-week off of Mammoth. $205 million first five days here domestically. Film did another $87 million business over the weekend. $347 million domestically, almost $690 worldwide, well on its way to $1 billion. Uh, that is a gold standard mark for any movie released, that billion-dollar mark. That's what the studio wants, uh, craves, and if they get it, that's what they call the cherry on the perennial Kate Kensu, Super Mario Brothers, a dominant player at the uh, worldwide box office. couple new entries entered the marketplace this week. The Pope's Exorcist, the new horror film with Russell Crowe, did a okay $9.2 million in his first frame of a release to play second. John Wick 4 placed third. Uh, four, I think it did uh, four point, no, not four. Yeah, it did, it's now up to $160 million in four weeks of uh, release. Renfield with Nicholas, Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage uh, in its opening frame did uh, $8 million in business. Uh, again, uh, I read that the production budget was like $65 million. It's a little bit on the high side. This is an okay opening at best and clearly showed it was not an easy sell, despite the fact it got some pretty good uh, and fun reviews. Ran out of the top five, the Ben Affleck directed Air, uh, the Michael Jordan sneaker story at Nike, uh, starring his buddy Matt Damon, uh, $7.7 million in weekend number two, $33 million in two weeks of release. Um, so things are looking better at the box office. That is a good number for Super Mario Brothers, Ken. It, it is, and uh, you know, it's, gonna, it's a great movie. All of us Italians are very proud that movies no longer just show us as uh, gangsters. Now we're plumbers as well. Uh, and and you know and I think your problem with the, the the last movie is when was the last time Nicolas Cage actually had a bankable film? Well, he he uh, he, he played himself in a movie that was released 
a few months ago. It did so-so at the box office. Me and Mike have talked of nauseam on this program about the career of Nick Cage and his his uh, his his uh, diversion into straight-to-DVD Walmart bin release movies over the last five years. Good to see him doing some studio fare. Uh, I, you know, I think Nicolas Cage is a, a highly entertaining uh, actor uh, that can be serious or over the top or somewhere in between. I still would love to see a rock sequel with that Stanley uh, Goodspeed character because it's one of the best characters uh, he's ever played. But, uh, you know, Renfield, let's see if it uh, has any legs going uh Forward. Now, this weekend in theaters is a movie called, uh, uh, it's a, a Guy Ritchie movie called The, the, the Covenant uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal. The movie's getting some really terrific reviews. It's a war film, uh, a, a buddy war, war film that reportedly is extremely emotionally in, involving. Let's see if that makes uh, some sort of a dent at the box office. You said it was a war film. What war? Uh, I, I believe it's the uh, uh, what's going on in uh, the, the the Middle East. I think it's yeah. I think it's about uh, an, an American soldier that saves an Iranian, and then he comes back. Uh, the Iranian saves him, and then when the Iranian gets in trouble, he goes to to to, uh, to to save him. Reviews are really good. The trailers they cut look really good. Also, you know, for for some reason, I have never, and I, I'm a huge fan of World War Two movies. I have yeah. never been able to get into the either Gulf War One or Gulf War Two movies. Uh, I don't know why, but just never has uh, been the same thing. It's, well, I think it's it's actually pretty different and the point well taken. One other uh, movie, some movie news of interest in terms of uh, eventual box office. Martin Scorsese's newest film, uh, which is uh, uh, Flower Moon. Uh, initially had a running time of almost four hours, three hours in, in 54 minutes. A week later, it was being reported that this film, which is going to be screened at Cannes and then released theatrically, uh, it's evidently a Western with DiCaprio and uh, Robert De Niro, uh, has been cut to three hours and 24 minutes, and then ultimately is going to have a big splash on Apple TV. I would have to think Scorsese, with almost an initial four-hour cut, cut that film for its Apple TV release uh, was probably pressured to some extent to cut it down to a watchable three hours and 24 minutes. I just can't see Ken people sitting in a movie theater watching a movie. I know the Irishman was long, but that was a Netflix movie that premiered it that played in, in some theaters around the country, but that was like a three and a half hour sit. It's a long sit, but four hours sitting in a movie theater. Uh, I just think that's too long for 2023. Yeah. That, I mean, on that one. That that is something that you can have if your main goal is streaming, and you know, let's face it, the Irishman they they put it in theaters just so they could say it had a theatrical release, exactly, because they were very exactly. limited in the theaters. It was one time when they said, "Oh, we're going to go to all the little independents and we're not going to give it to the chains." But yeah, I can I cannot see myself, and I have a three hour and one minute movie on my top ten list here. But you know, in the old days when you had movies that long, you had an intermission. And now, in, at my age, I probably would have to go out. I'd have, probably need two intermissions for a four-hour movie. <laughs> it's interesting you touch on that because I'm going to ask you a question now on a, a basis. Story. The last movie you saw in a the theater that you remember having an intermission, and then 
when you answer that, I'm going to answer it, and I'm going to tell the audience why they don't have any intermissions anymore. Go ahead. What, 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 you remember? Uh, well, uh, first of all, the, uh, the last movie I saw in the theater that should have had an intermission, of course, was uh, Titanic. I can remember. Yeah. It was a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. It was yeah. the Pocono Cinema in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, and it was Dr. Zhivago. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and that, that's the way, you know, a lot of movies back, back in the day were long, and they had intermissions. I mean, it's the Man, 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 Man World had an, an intermission. But the last one that I saw theatrically, I think it was in, in the 70s, 74, The Town Inferno. Actually, I think in the running time of The Town Inferno, I think it's right around uh, two hours and 50 minutes. I don't even think it's a three-hour film, but it did have an intermission. Uh, and the reason they had intermissions back then and they don't have them now is because they were one-screen theaters. And when, when they had the intermission and the audience got out, out of the seat and went to the, to the candy counter and bought candy and soda, it was just another way for the theaters, single-screen theaters, to bring in revenue. The reason they don't do it now is because with multiplexes, they don't want people wandering into the hallways in mass, sneaking into other movies, opening the door, so on. It just doesn't work in a multiplex where it did work in a single-screen movie theater uh, back in the uh, in the day. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And there's also, of course, the, the pressure is always on the you know the goal is to get as close to two hours without going over as you can because we want to have as many more show times right we want we want more showings during the day whereas uh you know if you're a a theater that only has two showings a day it's not such a big problem yeah and that'll become one showing at a four hour uh running time i just think the way people are uh are, are, are hardwired now they're they're so in a rush. People can't sit still for for three minutes without popping up their popping out their phone and, and either texting somebody or going on the internet. Uh, I just can't see many people saying, "I want to sit in a movie theater for four hours." So uh, it, it's an interesting story to say the uh, least. Now uh, some more movie in, uh, news of interest before we get into our top 10 favorite movies of the 1970s that we think people should be watching now i'm going to bounce right into superhero genre again because it always seems to be on our mind guardians of the galaxy 3 which opens i believe may 4th is tracking uh from the last i hear at around 130 million dollar opening weekend now uh this would be if that's accurate again this has nothing to do with the the entertainment value or the quality of this film because nobody knows it I'm going to make the assumption that it's really good. James Gunn's last movie for Marvel. But if it, if it does open in that range, $130 million, that would be around almost $50 million short of the opening weekend of Doctor Strange 2 and one of the lower opening weekends in, since 2010 of a big Marvel movie, which means, Ken, that I think we are seeing uh, some of the, the 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 erosion in the popularity of the genre as a whole, uh, because I would think that a Guardians movie would open as big as any Doctor Strange movie. So, one thirty solid, but not stupendous. We still have time till May fourth, based on buzz and reviews, to see the exact opening weekend. But uh, that is a um, that, that that's something to look at. 
do do the millennials or Generation Z or whatever ever generations we have out there these days, do they see Guardians of the Galaxy in the same vein as they do the you know the 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 typical superheroes, the the Iron Mans, the Supermans, the Batmans, because frankly, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is a bit tongue in cheek and and uh, a bit non human. So I just wonder at times whether uh, it's is it do the, is it a good barometer for the genre as a whole? No, I think it is. I think it is because those movies are done extremely well. Uh, they they have the first two, I think, especially the first one had very high entertainment value you know you're now into a third you're now into a third one uh, this evidently will be the last guardians with this cast of 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 actors led by chris uh, pratt and, and and dave uh batista but it is interesting because you know as we said on the show so many times you know with different franchises we've never seen uh, a, a time where you had wings at major studios designed for just Superheroes, you know, years ago, if they made a, a a Superman movie, it was oh, you know, a Superman movie. Well, you you, be, you could get excited because one comes out every, you know, four to ten years, and now you're you're churning out superhero movies at Marvel, you know, four, three to five a year. It's a lot. It, it, it's it's just a bombardment of the senses of one genre. And I, I'll bounce into more superhero movie news because yesterday was announced that Warner Brothers, DC, and James Gunn, who now controls DC uh, over at Warner Brothers, announced that his new Superman movie that he has, he has pitched hard to the public, Superman Legacy, directed by himself, James Gunn, has gone into pre-production and it will come out in theaters July 2025. Now, no actor has been cast as Superman. The direction of of where they're going to go with the Man of Steel will be a younger version of Clark Kent and Superman. So they'll have a they, they the goal is to have a ten year plan with this same actor playing the character as he grows. So Henry Cavill, as widely reported, will not be involved as Superman, Man of Steel in the DC universe. I expect a new actor to probably be announced sometime in the next six months. But they have gone into pre production. Uh, I can get excited personally still for a Superman movie. I could get excited for a Batman movie. It's just the stuff, the, the the exterior characters that you mentioned that are not as well known. This has gone on so long now uh, that my excitement has waned. Uh, I, and I think a certain segment of the population, you know, does feel the same way. Since when I sat in the theater, Ken, and I was watching Creed 3, I was like, you know what, I know this is a Rocky franchise, been around a long time but it felt it felt fresh because you know the, 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 it's more character driven uh and and people are not flying around with superhuman powers you know with with, with capes so it, i do want more than just this genre i think they've overdone it uh to such a fault and a lot of highly intelligent people uh you have made these decisions to do all these superhero movies and have 10 year 20 year plans um it seems like an overreach by some people that should know better and i think you're right i'm waiting for them to update it of course to make them the you know the man of titanium because steel is so you know 20th century but i actually understand the new man of steel is going to be a person of color and um his weakness is not going to be kryptonite it's going to be kardashian <laughs> that disclaimer that is 
a joke by Kenny B. Uh, one other superhero news of Avengers I just want to point out to the audience. Uh, James Gunn, uh, evidently there's reports that James Gunn was told by the Russo brothers uh, who have done movies over at Marvel, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier being one of them. That is a great movie, in my opinion, a four out of four star movie with some great action, tight storytelling, and Avengers Endgame, which is a terrific Marvel movie. That's the, the the one where Robert Downey Jr. is is killed off. Uh, terrific movie. Had an interest in directing a Batman movie at DC. Now, if I was James Gunn, I would I would be highly interested in in the services of these two very talented brothers who have delivered high quality superhero movies over at Marvel. Now, again, uh, I get excited when it's Batman. I get excited when it's Superman. So there's room, there is room for superhero movies going forward. I completely agree. I just don't want to see the market uh, completely uh, bastardized by just superheroes and everything else is just extraneous fluff to fill uh, movie screens. Now, before we bounce into another topic of movie news, anything to expand on this? Uh, no, I, 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 you know, I agree with you totally, and I, every other genre has run its course eventually and eventually, uh, yes and if you you know these, you and get it comes the- back it comes back like you know me and mike love disaster movies from the 70s beside adventures my all-time favorite movie now it's not on my list of the top 10 of the 70s because i don't want to put it put it there because people say it's a little bit too much with the beside adventure but Disaster movies did come back uh, to a point in the, in the in the 90s with um, Dante's Peak and Volcano and, and Daylight and Deep Impact and I love that but uh, nothing lasts forever in a straight line and, and I think superhero movies uh, we're starting to see a little bit of of a wing will it continue uh, or am I completely wrong I, well, that's what I, I, yeah I mean you have to think eventually. Uh, the movie audience grows out of it, and uh, it you know it's happened every other time, and you know you just you run out of uh, storylines, and I think one of the one of the mistakes they've made is making these movies that have too many superheroes in one movie, because you also saturate the characters. To, yeah, and I think Marvel's done that to uh, <clears throat> to uh, some extent. But, but by the way, I just want to point out that the title of Scorsese's movie, I said Flower Moon, it's Killers of the Flower Moon. That is the exact title of that uh, film off the top of my head. I just uh, did not remember that fact. Some other movie news of interest, this story broke last night. Ken, there was a hot script that Warner Brothers has obtained the rights to. Uh, it's called... Um, it is called... Uh, what is it called? Oh, Mord vs. Mord. And it's reportedly, the concept of, of it would be, an analogy would be like a Bond vs. Jason Bourne type of movie, but it will be anchored by two female leads. And those two female leads will be Angelina Jolie and Holly Berry, uh, and they will both produce this movie. Now, they both have done action uh, before Holly Berry was in a Bond movie, and she also was great. In, uh, in, a, in, a, in one of the John one of the two John Wick movies uh, one or two of them she's awesome uh, in, in, in that 
uh, Angelina Jolie is no 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 stranger to action with the Tomb Raider movies and Salt. So I like this I like this pairing. I, I got to tell you, Ken, female action oriented uh, movies. I'm a big fan of uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, Terminator One and Two, Alien, Sigourney Weaver. I, I look forward to this. Surprised you didn't listen. Uh, you didn't list Catwoman for Halle Bailey, but uh, but no, okay. no, that's a, that is a, that's a bad one. Okay, uh, but I. Yeah, it, when you first said that, I thought it was actually going to be a same-sex remake of uh, remake of Kramer versus Kramer, which was almost on my list. <laughs> Again, a disclaimer to the uh, audience. Some, some. Um, before we get on to our main topic, let's do some a uh, couple birthdays and a couple this week in TV uh, history. This week um, in TV history, April second, nineteen ninety-three. Walker, Texas Ranger premieres on CBS. It stars Chuck Norris. I was a fan of Chuck Norris. Uh, I liked a lot of most of his movies I saw in the theater and, and, and enjoyed the heck out of him. He hit lightning in a bottle and this became a big hit on CBS. And Norris gained another audience. I think of a little bit more sophisticated uh, viewers who watch CBS. But this movie was a dominant player for quite some time. Yeah, and before you had the most interesting man in the world, you had Chuck Norris who could do everything. I mean, that was that was his his persona. You know, Chuck Norris was unbeatable. Chuck didn't have a response to that one. Oh no, I, I apologize. Just repeat that one more time, Ken. I I, I said that um, before we had the most uh, most interesting man in the world, we had Chuck Norris, and you know that was the persona, and you even see it in me, in memes. To this day, yeah, the, that, you know, the, the memes with Chuck Norris and COVID, uh, very pop, very funny pop culture stuff. But I definitely am a fan of of of, uh, of Chuck Norris, and, and that was a uh, obviously they, they rebooted Walker Texas Ranger on the CW, but on CBS that show had a really popular run, to uh, say the least. Uh, this week in, in also TV history, April twentieth, Ken, nineteen eighty one. The final episode is a story I, I want to uh, expand on. Final episode of the sitcom Soap airs on ABC. Uh, it ran from 77 to 81. It was very popular. It was incredibly funny. It was outrageously edgy. I loved every minute of it. It's, it, it spun off Robbie Guillaume into Benson, which ran from 79 to 86. And the reason that Soap ended was not because it wasn't doing well in the ratings. It was because the entity called the moral majority put so much pressure on ABC that they wound up taking an ax to that great show. And I say to myself, everything that's going on in 2023 on television and cable, what the heck happened to the moral majority, Ken? Like, I, I almost find that laughable. Well, it, it's absolutely, it is absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, it, it was a it was a show that was twenty or thirty years before its time. I have to mention oh, 100%, 100%. this. Hundred percent. Look, look it up on uh, uh, there on uh, you know the the TikTok reels and that stuff. I saw this earlier this week. It was from a Bob Hope special. Mm-hmm. John Wayne was playing Archie Bunker in All in the Family, but the Western version of All in the Family, where you know, and he plays Archie. There's an Edith. Bob Hope plays his son, who is going to marry an Indian, a Native American. It is hilarious because they were wow. they were pointing out just how 
groundbreaking All in the Family was at the time when NBC, where Bob was doing his special, was still a little bit behind the times. But you're absolutely right. You know, the Billy Crystal character was not in keeping with the moral majority. No, and a lot of, you know, not at all. And, and a lot of that show, I remember, I'll tell you a quick story. Back in the day, uh, I remember going over to my, my godmother's house, right? And she was fairly religious. And I don't know, remember what night that so bared. And I, I remember saying to her, I was really young, as a kid, kid. And I said, can we put on soap? I love that show. And she looked at me and she said, that show does not play in my household. And I remember n- never wanting to go back. But, but it, I, I, it, that's, you know, certain people, you know, are offended by certain things. But the concept, you know, because I always remember, like, you know, even back when, when Howard Stern was so popular on on, uh, on on Free Airwave, you know, the FCC and, and the, his great movie, Private Parts, which to me did one movie, Howard Stern, that was a great movie. Uh, you look at that movie and you say, how did he endure all that pressure doing what he did on public airways when nobody seems to care what anybody says or does on on television uh, nowadays? I mean, I know we, we don't, they don't know our TV, there's no F-bomb or no nudity, but in terms of edginess, I think you could pretty much do anything you want uh, or swear. Then a lot of pressure by these entities was put on these shows to, uh, uh, you know, kill it. I know we got the wall culture and the cancel culture, but... I just think in general, just, I'm just talking about the entertainment itself. Uh, it's, it's just different. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's far cry from the days when married couples slept in twin beds. Yeah, uh, going back to uh, I Love Lucy, where Lucy and Ricky couldn't be in the same bed without their both feet it's, being it's, on. The, right. uh, it's also the reason why most early sitcoms had either yeah. a father or a mother because they wanted to take sexuality out of it altogether, not realizing... And when people get married, they stop having sex. But okay, that's well. That is, uh, I'm not going to let you use a disclaimer for that one because I actually thought that was a very funny and accurate, uh, fairly accurate joke. Now uh, this day here, you're going to laugh at this one. This week in TV history, April 20th, 1986. I actually remember this fairly well. Geraldo Rivera on a syndicated broadcast opens Al, Cap- Al Capone's vault. He finds nothing except. Massive TV ratings. Do you remember that night? I, I do remember because what he failed to realize is that Al Capone put a dollar in that safe every time he had sex after he got married, and there was no money in there. <laughs> but do you? Do you I, I do remember, remember that it. Night and I'm like, oh, like we're getting to the, like I think it was like two hours, and they're they're teasing and and teasing and teasing, and then they open the safe and like I, I think it was like an old newspaper like, yeah and okay. we all and we all figured oh they must know there's something in there or they wouldn't be doing this yeah it, it, it uh, but again I think you know, Geraldo certainly helped helped uh, the, the innovation of some reality television with that uh, good, listen good idea because it made a lot of money for the people who wound up producing it you have to have an end game sometimes to do very well and that, that did uh, that did very well absolutely yeah some uh, an- another points of another movie news of interest here before we get on to our main topic uh, Sylvester Stallone has, has said now 76 years old has signed a first look deal with uh, Amazon his first movie for them he will be never too old to die which is an action comedy so anything Stallone writes 
or likes that he wants to get uh, greenlit, he has a deal with Amazon to uh, to do so. Listen, what a career, Stallone, going strong at uh, seventy six years of uh, of age. We're, we're talking. We're, we're talking about a man. Yeah. who once sold his dog for $40. He was so low on money. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's a he true story. He back, though, didn't he? he? He did buy the dog back. Yes, he Thank did. Thank God. Okay. That's good. Uh, one other thing. Uh, Antonio Ramos, who is the star of the musical, uh, uh, Miguel Miranda musical, Into the Heights, which aired on uh, HBO Max, he uh, is in negotiations to star in the sequel or reboot of Twister, which is called Twisters, uh, comes out July 2020, I think 25, I think 25. So for fans of Twister, and I'm one of them, no Helen Hunt, but uh, you're going to get a lot of good, probably good special effects. I I think this is a good franchise to reboot, actually. Oh, I thought it was this movie about Chubby Checker, so I was totally off. That will be another version that uh, will not probably play well in Moldova. I got one more before we get on to our main topic. This is an interesting one. From what I'm hearing and reading, that this new uh, this new short, a uh, limited series, Fatal Attraction, which uh, Paramount Plus has, has taken the great movie, massive box office hit of the 1980s, and did a limited series out of this uh, on Paramount Plus, from what I hear, and it's directed by a woman, they twist and turn a lot of the story points. And in this version, this is accurate, that the Glenn Close character will be uh, the one that the audience will sympathize with. And the male character, played by Joshua Jackson, who was played by Michael Douglas in the movie, will be the one who is completely frowned on uh, and actually... Uh, you'll be glad he gets his comeuppance and in this version goes to jail. I find that in the, in the age of woke, I say to myself, why? I, I thought the same thing when you're saying that woke, you know? Hey, I got to mention, this, goes, this is a, a moonlighting type moment. It's, sure. been, it's been confirmed that season five will be the last season of Yellowstone. Really? Okay. Really? So, yeah, so, yeah, so Yellowstone, but then they still they're gonna spin it off with Matthew, McC- Matthew McConaughey like character. Correct? Yeah, they're still gonna they're still gonna do spinoffs, but the uh, you know they basically said okay, we have enough of the uh, the uh, star Kerry yeah, soap yeah, opera. The, the soap opera and uh, yeah. you know the the, the showrunner said eh, you know I went from also being broke to being a billionaire. So okay, yeah, we'll do true. something else. Yeah. Yeah, but but in his defense, and again, I don't know the inner workings of behind the scenes of how this all played out. But when Costa took that job, he probably said to himself, okay, I'm going to do this show. I'm going to make some money. Hopefully it's good. It'll run for a few years, hopefully. I don't think he ever thought maybe in his mind's mind's eye that this is a program that could run for a decade. So maybe he just doesn't want to commit himself to another another five years. Obviously, it got ugly. Uh, It it, it was irreparable. but again, like you said, Taylor, uh, it's Taylor Hackford, correct? You're right. Okay. He probably, like you said, he's gained a lot of influence and power and could go beyond the, the scope of, of Kevin Costner's launching this series. And you get Matthew McConaughey 
you got a really good actor to move forward. And this happens in the industry. I mean, it's happened on a lot of successful shows where, uh, you know, happened on NYPD Blue, David Caruso, who I never thought was great anyway. I always thought when Jimmy Smith came onto that show, it, it was, it was, it was, it was a better show. Anyway, so, I mean, it does happen, uh, and hopefully it, it, the writing will stay strong and uh, fans of Yellowstone will follow the spinoff and it'll have another five-year run as successful. Yep. That, that is what that is. So let's bounce into, Ken, our main topic of the week. We're going to pick 10 movies that we think people should watch from the 1970s that should have a legacy generationally. And this was a tough one to do because there's so many great movies of the 19. Uh, 1970s. I could have list 50. I could have easily had 10 that could have been. Uh, I could have switched in and out with my top 10 that I ultimately went with. So I'm going to start off with 10 through six. These are 10 movies from the 1970s that I think will have a legacy from here on out that people should watch from now into the end of time. My number 10. It was tough because I said, okay, let me go with a horror film. So I. I said I was very close to putting John Carpenter's Halloween that was released in 1978, but I sort of hedged at the last second, and I went with The Exorcist because I think The Exorcist is one of the rawest forms of filmmaking ever produced that had a mass uh, appeal, and people lined up around city blocks in 1973 to see William Friedkin's movie, which starred Jason Miller, one of my all-time favorite performances, his father, Karras, shocking uh, subject matter but the reason this movie to me was so good then is still is equally as great and powerful now and just as pure storytelling is because it never feels like a movie when i watch this film and i've done a revival of it you sit you watch it and you just get so involved and you feel like you're just almost like you're watching a documentary and you're involved in these characters and then the power of the demonic stuff takes over and this actually was a mind-blowing experience in 73 i still think it's a mind-blowing experience in 2023 so exorcist is my number 10 number nine i went with philip kaufman's invasion of the body snatchers from 1978 one of the definitive move definitive films on the concept of paranoia great cast donald sutherland brooke adams jeff goldblum lennon nimoy i love this movie it's involving it's it has power uh it's downbeat it's bleak and i love every frame of it and this movie is one that people should continue to watch number eight i went with dog day afternoon uh one of the great scripts of all time a bank robbery in brooklyn gone wrong the dialogue in this movie goes on and on it's like they ad lib for 10 set 10 minutes the time uh chris sarandon's also in this movie charles durning the banter between durning and and uh and pacino across the street from each other uh, charles durning on a bullhorn al pacino yelling it's just fascinating stuff one of the great movies of the 1970s it was released in 75 so that's number my number eight my number seven uh i put a sports film the bad news bears from 76 this movie, on its surface, you would think is a kid's movie, but it's not. It's, it's entertaining, uh, it's, it's unbelievably thought-provoking, and it's about as hard-hitting a sports movie as ever made dealing with the subject matter of how seriously, how seriously adults 
should take Little League. And this movie has real power. It is tremendously entertaining from its opening frame to its last. Anchored by Walter Matthau, one of the great actors of that decade. I love this movie. It's my number seven. My number six, I went with Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Movies don't get more raw than this. This is filmmaking from the 70s that you'll never see again. De Niro plays Travis Bickle, uh, a, a character that is unstable, delving through New York and Times Square in this time period. It is a blueprint for the way New York was in that decade. Great support by Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepard, Harvey Keitel. What a powerful, great, dramatic, character-driven movie Taxi Driver is. One of the best of that decade. So that is my number six. Boy, Ken, what a great decade. Yeah, and you know, you, you couldn't give me a uh, top ten list this week that was going to be totally objectionable, like top ten vampire movies, top ten remakes. So instead, you, <laughs> you, you make me suffer PTSD with your number seven, because as I've told you many times, that was the first date I had with my first wife. And I don't like to remember that, but okay. I, I did something, because it's so hard, I actually picked one from each year. And oh, cool. and, so, and so they're going to go in that order, except I'm going to start with 1970, because that has the zero in it, so that'll be my number 10. So 1970, uh, George C. Scott, Carl Malden, this was Scott as his best. It was Patton. And the thing you have to remember, this was only 25 years after Patton's death. So for a lot of people seeing this movie, this was somebody they actually remembered in their real life. George C. Scott, of course, also refused his Academy Award because he didn't, he didn't approve of being in competition with other actors. But Patton is one of those great movies, war movies, that will stand the test of time. And George C. Scott just did a, a great job in, uh, in that movie. Number nine, uh, the movie kind of sucks, but... It's got a legacy because it has generated probably nearly a dozen now movies after it. It is Star Trek, the motion picture. Okay. William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, etc. Hey, it had none of the humor of this television series. It was pretty lame as far as the script. The, the, whole, the whole thing was a bit anticlimactic, but good, it started the rebirth of the Star Trek franchise. So that was that's number that nine. Did. Uh, number eight, uh, Brittany Griner, watch this movie and stop feeling sorry for yourself. That's my political statement for today. It is Midnight Express. Oh, what a great movie. The true story of Billy Hayes. It, for many people, it was our first glimpse into a foreign prison. You know, Brad Davis, Irene Miracle. Great. He was great. Brad Davis was a great actor. Irene Miracle was the girlfriend. It showed us the impact of global politics on things because global politics kept him in prison so that's number eight oliver, oliver stone wrote that screenplay yes number seven another another movie okay you, people don't people often put this on their list of worst movies from 1977 john travolta karen lynn gorney and donna prescow saturday night fever but you know what if we're going to tell the story of the 1970s unfortunately the late 1970s we had something called disco and disco was an escape from reality and a way of life it was also intertwined with drugs and sex and a bunch of other things but it's a great movie to show people what the 70s were were like it was the second half of the 70s so saturday night fever with mr john travolta that's a great pair. that's 
it's a great pick. I mean, obviously the landmark movie of uh, of the '70s, certainly that uh, that the year it came out, and in Saturday Night Fever. And I've talked about this on the program. Is the only movie in my mind's eye recollection to to be one when it was released. It was hard R, hard R, and it made a ton of money. And it was so popular that the studio Paramount wanted younger kids to see it, so they recut it to PG from hard R to PG, and people still came out in droves. So they got the best of both worlds and had a massive box office hit on their hand. First is hard R, and then is PG. I don't think any release ever did that before. Uh, I'm pretty confident that's accurate. My number six for 1976, this movie actually may have impacted an election because people forget how close the election was between Jimmy Carter and Jerry Ford, especially in the state of Ohio. But this movie came out in the uh, beginning of 1976, reminded us of the whole Watergate uh, saga. Of course, it was all the president's men portraying Woodward and Bernstein were Redford and Hoffman, and Jason Robards won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Great movie that tells the, the story of exactly how we broke Watergate, all the president's men. Great. Uh, that's a great, great, great list. I like that. It's not on my list, but it's a great movie indeed now we'll go through five through one time five i went with superman the movie i remember going to see this in 1978 at the kingsway in brooklyn new york there was a long line remember when the movie started in the in the, in the uh the, the, the when the, they used to have actually they, i remember this theater ken brings back a memory the curtains opened like electronically, they opened, and this movie started, and it just felt very special. And this movie delivered. The tagline was, "You will now, you will believe a man could fly," and you did. Christopher Reeve was born to play Clark Kent and Superman. Played them very differently. That was the brilliance of his performance. Hackman is Lex Luthor. Jarrell uh, 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 played by Marlon Brando. Margaret Kidder was great. Lois Lane. This movie was wildly, uh, just hypnotically entertaining, uh, and it spawned. Ultimately, it showed that you could do a live-action superhero movie, make it believable, have fans love it, and this was a kickstart to ultimately what would be a genre that we see today on steroids. The first Superman movie in '70, very important film and a great one so that is my number five yeah i saw that on new year's eve 1978 into 1979 it was the first movie i saw after getting engaged to my first wife so yeah keep keep the keep the thing going yeah yeah uh, my number five was on your list uh, for 1975 it is dog day afternoon i love the way it shows the media circus around all of this i love that too and we got a shout out to john Cazale because all the guy did was make yeah. you know make award-winning movies in his very I short think every career. Every movie the guy was in was nominated for best picture. Yeah, it's amazing, and it's one it's one of those movies where we end up sympathizing with the criminals, and I like those yes, I those agree. movies. I, I, I agree. I agree with that, and the, and the which is based, you know Dog Day Afternoon is based on a, a true life incident, and the twist in that movie, especially from the seventies, where Chris Sarandon winds up. Uh, the reason Pacino's robbing the bank is because his boyfriend, which you don't know in the in, in when the movie starts, uh, is is needs a, uh, an operation. He's trans, which 
you know, back in the 70s, it's like a huge twist, but what a great movie. My number four, I, I went with Rocky from 76 because I think it's just a general generational movie that will span, people will be watching Rocky in a hundred years. Uh, it's a true of the truest of underdog stories. I remember seeing it in the theater first time and it's just a very special movie. At the heart of Rocky, it is a love story between Adrian and Rocky Balboa. The, the fighting is obviously a big part of it, but it's so, so much still secondary to the bond and the relationship between these two characters. All the supporting characters in this movie are iconic, from Mickey, played by Burgess Meredith, to Paulie, played by Burt Young. Uh, it all works. Uh, it makes you feel like a million bucks, uh, and it basically is dealing with the true life uh, type of emotion. Rocky is a great movie, so that is my number four. My number four from 1974 is not a love story because as Mongo tells us when it's insinuated that maybe he's got a little bit of a crush on Bart, no, Mongo straight. Of course, it is Blazing Sandals, Cleavon <laughs> Little, George Wilder, uh, Gene Wilder, Harvey Corman, Madeline Kahn, Mel Brooks, Slim Pickens, but I'm going to call out somebody that I think was one of the best performances in the movie, and that was Burton Gilliam, who played Lyle, the dim-witted henchman for uh, Slim Pickens. Gilliam was a firefighter in Dallas for 14 years. They were filming Paper Moon, and he came to uh, apply as a, a walk-on extra. They liked him so much they gave him the role in Paper Moon as Floyd, the desk clerk. He then returned to Dallas, went back to firefighting. Mel Brooks sought him out to play the role of Lyle based on what he did in Paper Moon. So uh, an overlook, uh, he, he has over 100 credits to his, to his name, but uh, clearly the only thing we know him for is Blading, Blazing Sandals, Mr. Burton Gilliam. But Blazing Sandals is my 1974 movie my number four movie and it's an endearing movie because it shows you know what if we do racism as parody it works you know it's, it's interesting about blazing saddles one it looked at, when you watch that movie it looks great it was shot beautifully but i i'll ask you a question gene wilder is gene wilder and he's great but Cleavon little who, who's really the star of that film it was almost, I'm, it's not a one and done, but he never, he's so funny in this movie, so appealing as a Gene Wilder, but never had the movie career that you would have thought based off this film. Why do you think that is? I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, I think that in movie lore, I think that's an interesting uh, sub subject that I always wondered. Uh, my number three, I, I went with Star Wars, which was released in 1977. Uh, not much to say about Star Wars that people don't know other than the fact that this is a movie where after you had the disaster trend of the, the 70s and then you had Jaws in 75 which started to alter uh, uh, movies in another direction launching the summer blockbuster but Star Wars was a massive game changer in that it gave audiences something they didn't see before and it took filmmaking in a very different direction uh, and a lot of that goes to the credit of George Lucas, who was a visionary to do this material, put it on screen, hit a home run. It was a great movie. Audiences loved it. It was exciting. It was, like I said, it was very different at the time. So it is a landmark movie that obviously people still watch and love in 2023. So that's my 
number three from the 1970s top ten. My number three from 1973 is often mischaracterized as a rock opera. It is not. It is a sung through musical. It was the first time most people would have seen a sung through musical, meaning there's no dialogue. Everything in the movie is sung. It, of course, is Jesus Christ Superstar, Ted Neely, Carl Anderson, Yvonne Elliman, who I didn't realize was actually born in Hawaii. I always thought she was European for some reason. Uh, she was a Golden Globe nominee for her role as Mary Magdalene. She had a Billboard 100 hit in 1971 with I Don't Know How to Love Him. They added Can We Start Again, Please, uh, to the movie for to, to uh, really feature her. And she's one of the uh, two people who was in the original cast album, original stage um, cast, and in the movie. So Jesus Christ Superstar, which... One, introduced us to the Sung Through musical. Two, paved the way for all those, well, okay, Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals to follow. Very good. Uh, I'll go with my number two. I only got for the one and two. Very few films I would consider masterpieces from beginning to end. These are two that fit that bill. Francis Ford Coppola brings these movies, uh, these stories, based on novels to the big screen. Couldn't do it any better. Perfect casting, compelling drama, great characters, great filmmaking, the complete ball of wax. Uh, these movies are just as relevant in 2023 as they were sitting in the theater when people ate these movies up and these became big box office hits back in 72 and 74. So Godfather 1 and 2 are my number 2. My number 2 from 1972, of course, it starts with dueling banjos. Uh, it, it, we we still uh, we still have squeal like a pig in our lexicon. John Voight, Burt Reynolds, Ned Beatty, Ronnie Cox in uh, Deliverance. I call it a human horror film because it is a horror you, film. But, it is, make no mistake, it's a horror film. But you don't have people wearing masks. You don't have people that are vampires or anything. You just have some really bad people. Uh, actually, it's scary. Actually, made forty six million dollars on a two million dollar budget. Ned Beatty. Let me ask you a question sure. on this film. In 72, oh, it came out in 72, right? Yes. Okay, this movie was a big hit. Now, do you, now I know in the 70s, people who went to the movies were primarily, they were, they're not teenagers. I mean, teenagers went to movies, but movies were made for people who were a little bit more mature, 30 plus, 40 plus, right? That's a given. So people go in to see this movie. Based on the trailers, I think they were going to see some sort of, unless they read specific reviews, I don't know when they sat in their seat and watched this movie, when the horrors of this movie unleash, specifically on the Ned Beatty character, who, that was his first film, him and, and Ronnie Cox, that was their first movies they did, which was Deliverance. You're sitting in a movie theater watching this play out. It had to be frightening. Like it had to be, like when they went home, when people went home, after they saw this movie and went to sleep that night, it had to really stew in their mind. This is a very, this is this might be a non, non-boogeyman, meaning uh, a Freddy Krueger, a Michael Myers, a Leatherface. This has to be one of the most di- 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 uh, disturbing movies ever unleashed on the American public that made this much money for a mainstream audience, am I wrong? Oh, absolutely, and, and when you think it was you know, about three decades later, everybody gets all upset about consensual sodomy in yeah. Brokeback Mountain. I can't imagine what the reaction in the theater was to, I don't to think sodomous rape. I don't 
could be made. I, I don't think it could be made. Certainly, listen, if it was made, it would be an art house movie, and it wouldn't make much money. Uh, but to, the, the fact that this movie was a, had, you know, sold, uh, played to sold out crowds in 72, I just think, oh, I just don't know if people understood what they were getting into. It had to be pretty, uh, pretty disturbing to say the least. My number one, it was a no brainer for me. Uh, it's Jaws from 75. Uh, again, a game changing film that steered people away from the disaster genre, gave them something new. Leash unleashed his summer blockbuster because it was a movie released in the summer. Studios released their big popcorn movies or movies they expected to do big box office at Christmas time. It put Steven Spielberg on the map. It showed that character-driven movies with a high concept could do very well. Uh, great cast in the, in this film: Roy Scheider, uh, Robert Shore, Richard Dreyfuss, Shark. I thought it was awesome, the direction awesome. To me, when you watch this movie now, it's timeless. Watch Jaws on the big screen in 2023, it feels timeless. And it is a masterpiece on multiple levels. To me, Jaws is my number one from the 70s. I, I, had, a, I had a little tidbit because I tried to look up some unknown facts about things for my, just to finish Deliverance. And that is that Ned Beatty's real-life wife and director yeah. John Borman's real-life son are both in the movie as the wife and son of John Voight's character. Just a little, oh, okay. little trivia there. My number one, my number one is from 1971. It is the last great classical musical. Long before the Holocaust, we had the pogroms and other actions of discrimination against Jewish people in Russia. This is 181 minutes long, and it's worth every minute. It, of course, is... Fiddler on the Roof, great scenery, great music. You got poverty, you got prejudice, you got oppression, but you also have love, faith, and hope. Uh, Topol takes over the Zero Mustel, Herschel Bernardi role. Uh, Norma Crane plays Golda. She actually uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer during the filming, would die two years later. This would be her last film. Um, Motley Pinkon as uh, Yenta, and of course, Paul Michael Glazer was in this as Perchick. It gave us the great, right, so okay. great songs of uh, If I Were a Rich Man, Sunrise, Sunset, Matchmaker, and Do You Love Me. One of, yeah. one of the greatest mu uh, musicals of all time. I love seeing this on stage. I love seeing it on film. And it is my number one from 1971. It is, of course, Fiddler on the Roof. I did a big screen revival of it, uh, I think about five years ago. It was, it was a good watch. It has some great... Music, but, you know, it's interesting how diverse and different we were uh, in, in our books. Some same, many different. Uh, I have great memories of the 70s because I do think the 70s was a gold standard in filmmaking. There was a rawness to it that was maybe a product of its time. Uh, the directors were allowed to take more chances in storytelling and character. They didn't have the studio system interfering nearly as much as when movies started to get through the 80s, 90s, especially now. But uh, good subject matter. I had a lot of fun on this broadcast, Ken. It's been a lot of fun, Chuck. Uh, to the audience, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye, Chuck. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts.
podcast by Federated Media. Mm-hmm.